Hello and welcome to the Yoga Syndicate. In this episode, we will be discussing the topic of happiness. Ellen, what is this happiness thing all about? Well, what is happiness? Happiness could refer to so many things. We, we talk about happiness, we run after happiness, we all want to be happy, right? So, uh, if you ask me if I'm happy, that could refer to, uh, to many different things. It could mean that I have an immediate reaction to something. It could mean that my life situation is generally happy. It could mean some, uh, some feeling I have, or it could mean uh, an emotion. Or it could, it could mean that I'm that type of person. I'm a happy person. I'm happy. But uh, if we look at it in a more philosophical way, it's actually one of the oldest questions in uh, the history of philosophy that uh, everyone has had to relate to. Because that's our quest for life, how to, how to live our lives, how to live our lives to the, to the fullest and have the most meaning. So, so in that context, um, happiness is also one of the very important topics in uh, philosophy, if not the topic. Interesting. I am... Um I always, you know, after being uh, involved and in getting into this whole yoga scene, I've been feeling that, you know, happiness is uh, at least I've I've been wanting to know more about it. I've been wanting to know, uh, wanting to know more how I can facilitate it and uh, manifest it. But you know, many people have been saying, "Yeah, but happiness should never be the goal." Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, happiness will take your breath away. It's all about good balance of the the three gunas. I mean. What does this pie, uh, the guna pie, look like uh, for you when it comes to uh, uh, happiness, number one? And number two, um, why do people keep saying that, uh, no, 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 happiness is not the goal? Uh, Is that a fancy thing to say? And then afterwards they go, well, I tricked you. Of course it's a goal, but I wanted you to find it out on on your own. (laughs) Well, I think it depends on how you define happiness, you know, because it's one of these things, just like the term yoga, it has so many different definitions and it changes over time. So if if we look back in in history, happiness actually uh, uh, refers more to to living a, a virtuous life. It's more like what you uh, what you uh, have when you look back and at your life. Uh, have I lived a good life? Have I lived a, a virtuous life? Did I, I live to my fullest potential? Was I a good citizen? Was was I good in my role? So, uh, so that is the more ancient uh, uh, version of uh, of happiness. Did I do something? Did, did I contribute to I- in this world? Did I do good? So we find this kind of uh, definitions uh, from Confucius, and we find uh, Aristotle, who also says that. Uh, um, uh, happiness is about uh, moderation. It's to be. Uh, uh, it's to be able to moderate our uh, emotions, because unless we are able to moderate somehow our emotions, we will be a slave to our emotions. So we can see there's. Uh, um, it, it, we we find this concept of happiness in the we can say in the Greek-Roman philosophy, and we also to a great extent find it in the Asian philosophy, in the Indian philosophy, that uh, happiness is about having some kind of uh, control and uh, uh, to have uh, 
some uh, inner contentment. So it's not a happiness that comes from outside. It's a happiness you achieve through a practice. So that was understood in the olden days that uh, happiness is a, is a practice. It's not something that falls into your lap. You have to cultivate your happiness. You have to restrain your emotions and not let them run away with you so that you can have a kind of inner peace and uh, contentment. I, you know, I um, finally I can uh, not not necessarily agree with you because I'm always kind of baffled uh, where you where you get all this. I um, but this time I, I it really hits home with what you're saying. I just drew a really you know a beautiful accord with what you're what you're saying because uh, in any moments of uh, feeling actually happy myself, it's not. I almost forget what I'm happy about, but I what I'm what I'm happy because of is the ability to to control uh and um and and keep in order um my thought processes uh to the extent that they don't affect me uh so that i'm just there's just a, a little smooth sailing um but all of a sudden when the wind stops and uh something along the way uh, a bump or a wave hits this uh, the, the front of the bow um it's not port side out starboard home uh, in the land of being posh it's uh, it's some pretty rough seas so um, I don't know. I uh, I think uh, we're onto something here. That happiness isn't just the end product. I'm happy because um, I got a promotion. I'm happy because she said she loved me. I'm happy because the child is healthy. I'm happy because no. I'm happy because I don't have to maybe define why I'm happy. And by just saying that in and of itself, it's it's exerting a certain level of, hey, I got this under control. Mm. This misery, the opposite of happiness, I have under control, therefore makes me happy. Mm. Yeah, so exactly. So that's very much accord with the, uh, the old perception of, uh, of happiness. One didn't regard uh, happiness as a... Uh, some kind of euf euphoria that was there all the time. So a happy life was not a life without problems, without burdens, but it was the 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 knowledge that you you could handle it, you could be in charge, and you had the means to be in charge, and it was worthwhile to do. So I think the difference here is that uh, back in the days, you know, people had certain ideals, and uh, now we have uh, we're maybe. Uh, quite distance from having these ideals. You know, I, I would agree with you there. Um, and uh, maybe they had a little less to do, a little less to look at. Um, of course, they had, might have had in, in other ways um, much, more, uh, much more hunting to do, much more sort of accumulating just anything to, you know, to, to feed their family uh, sort of things to do. Uh, and maybe some headaches, some heartaches of, you know, think if you were born in Virgo uh, back in the day and you were so, you know, pragmatic um, and uh, you live next to a really barbaric uh, uh, Leo um, or, or Aries, uh, some big muscle guy that lives next door, I probably wouldn't have helped you to, to go out and hunt so much being so darn, darn pragmatic. So I think um, happiness for me has always been... Um, sort of a, a realization that um, sometimes uh, I will be and other times I won't because if you don't bear both sides of the coin, then um, it's just like any other concept in life. If you don't understand this, then how can you achieve that? 
Um, is there a certain dualism in really exercising, understanding, and celebrating happiness? I think certainly it is. You know, we can say that these ancient wisdom uh, traditions, they are about finding the true uh, happiness, and they all go against another strand that we find in, in both Eastern and, and Western culture, which is the, the concept of head hedonism, sense pleasure, fulfilling your, your sense pleasure. Just live your life, just have as much food and drink and sex and sensual pleasures that you can possibly have. And perhaps at the end of life, then you are, uh, you're certain that there is no afterlife, and, but at least you know that you had your fill of everything uh, you, during your life. But um, these wisdom traditions, they go against that. So they preach more the, the moderation. And uh, when you're seeking the, the, the happiness that is connected with the wisdom and the cultivation of happiness, of course you have to know more. And there can be no happiness unless you understand suffering. Mm. So that is really the big concept of of buddhism but also in the in the yoga philosophy of patanjali although it's not stated so explicitly but uh, you have to know that once you're when you're not in in control of your of the fluxations of the mind then you're then you're not happy then you're distracted or you're overcome by emotions or, uh, or, or thoughts that invade you that you have no control of. Uh, so then you're not uh, happy. Whereas in Buddhism is very uh, explicitly stated that you have to understand that the, your uh, existence is marked by suffering in order to uh, uh, pursue something else. And what pertains to suffering is what we would ordinarily, ordinarily label happiness, which is the fulfillment of sense pleasure. Because that's that's not the, that's never a permanent happiness. That's just a, um, just that's just running after an ever increasing craving or a thirst, the trishna, that uh, is always there. This hedonistic uh, sense pleasure uh, thing is something I um, you know I, I've uh, I recognize it in society quite often since we've become a very sort of. Uh, it's now the end of November. There's this, they don't call it Black Friday any longer. They call it Black Week, which means that mm -hmm. we're going to just keep the cell going and people will keep out, they keep looking for things they don't need. And in essence, they're just playing games with numbers. Well, if I get it now, I'll save uh, 30%. And it's like, well, back to the question, do you need it now? Um, and then if you took those, uh, those, questions and those uh, words over to you know having a discussion about happiness it's like well do i need it now do i need the happiness do i uh will, will something suffice or uh, give me the feeling that i am happy when i'm not and then you bring up this concept of you know the buddhist approach to understanding happiness is through understanding suffering um and they sort of go hand in hand and then i then it brings to mind this this big you know um I'm I'm 53, and I you know I've of course just like anyone else, uh, or some of you would probably say no, that's not true for me. But for me, I find that there I've heard this sentence more lately um, after being with my wife so for you know a considerable amount of years that when we don't get along, people come up to me and say, "Hey, buddy, <laughs> don't forget, happy wife, happy life." Um, 
I'm then I then I go back to okay yes sometimes you need to suffer in order to understand what what happiness is but then I go wait a minute I'm not that cliche comment of happy wife happy life kind of a guy and then someone's like oh don't fight it don't fight it just go with it you know just see what happens just trust me on this one tell her what she wants to hear give her what she wants and sooner or later you'll find out that man everything is really cool and smooth sailing bro um what's your take on the happy wife happy life uh, modern day approach to suffering and happiness well i'm surprised they say that uh, in this part of the world i've i've, I've heard it in in india and nepal but uh, i i haven't heard it here well i think this uh, we can relate to this uh, uh, in the sense that we often assume that there is one thing that is going to make us happy. We think it's uh, this relationship or that person or this job or uh, this car or this incident that is going to make uh, us happy. And we don't realize that uh, we're also prone to uh, the influences of uh, causes and conditions. There's never just one thing. And there can never be one person who is responsible for your happiness. That's kind of a uh, uh, very childish or very immature thought. Um, I think it's like uh, it's like putting ourselves in a kind of uh, God creator position and think if, if I just achieve this, if I just get this, everything is going to be fine because I decide it's going to be like that. And we don't take into account all the other uh, thousands of, uh, of influences and causes that, uh, that also uh, uh, place their, their part that we are not in control of. So, uh, but, but, but wait, you know, mm-hmm. isn't that the point to not be in control of feeling or acquiring or understanding happiness? Because happiness should sort of come in and be a tsunami and just flood you with a certain joy that wasn't predetermined, it wasn't expected, it just sort of suddenly you know oh i'm happy so then there wouldn't be any just one um reason why you would be happy it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a plethora or an amount or some of its parts it wouldn't be a lot of reasons it would be no reason it would just be back to that feeling that feeling that just comes out of nowhere like a tsunami and just you know takes your breath away sweeps you off your feet and it's not because uh, uh of something um, that you were expecting or something that you prefer, like, I love Christmas presents. Or it would be something more like, oh my God, that person just said the most wonderful thing to me in my, all my life. That was my biggest fear. And I, you know, I've always been very self-conscious of that. And they just said, hey, stop being self-conscious of that because what you're in this light the most beautiful person or that thing you said was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Um, isn't happiness a feeling, uh, Ellen? Yeah, but it, well, if happiness is a feeling, how can you sustain that feeling? You know, feelings Why also should have you? a. Well, if you want, per, isn't that what we are pursuing? Is this kind of permanent happiness? And if we, if we try to to get it through pursuing happy feelings, we know that feelings are very ephemeral. They just change all the time. They're always fluctuating. So I think we have to look for uh, for happiness somewhere else. And we are more complex than uh, than uh, being satisfied by one thing, mm. you know. So even if you have the most wonderful person at your as your partner. 
partner. Well, that might be fine, but then other things come come to play. Maybe all the other guys in the Haugesund also thinks your wife is the uh, hottest uh, person ever, and and that brings up all kind of other problems and uh, and thoughts for you. So it, we are not that. It's not uh, as easy as that. Uh, and I think we have to be. Uh, we have to realize that we have to work a little bit more for happiness. It's a kind of new thought that happiness, as I said, will just land in our laps and uh, and will will be happy ever after. Even if you have that wonderful partner, it doesn't mean that it's happy ever after. Actually, it doesn't mean that the work stops there. Well, back in the kingdom, you know, back in the the. the the people that lived in the vicinity of or nearby a kingdom, but didn't have a horse. Uh, and it was a long walk, and the longer you walked away from your domicile where you lived, the, the further you, you were from your family, from protecting them, of feeding them. Uh, and, you know, back in the day, um, was it really a, an agenda for a small family that lived out in the woods and, you know, um, made amends, uh, made amends uh, just by that which they had and that which they acquired through both hunting and fostering and growing uh, different uh, things in their own little uh, you know cubby hole of life in their own corner of the neck of the woods that they um, do you do you th I'm sure there were certain smiles when the child you know didn't come home from school because I'm talking about a time in an era when there wasn't any school just when you know when the family unit was a family unit do you think um, happiness um, or would it be another word that was on the agenda uh, in those certain times before happiness became such a sort of, uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe sure looked happy, uh, Frank Sinatra had a, a gleaming smile, uh, but we all know these people weren't uh, uh, happy all the way through. Well, I think... Uh, uh I think back in the days, uh, people related to happiness very, very differently. If your uh, if your children grew up and uh, and you could sustain your family, I think that would be considered a happy life. So it's a, it's a rather new thing. This uh, this thing that we we should be happy all the time. We ought to be happy, mm. and we almost feel guilty if we're not happy. And uh, there's, there's an, another important thing when it comes to happiness is that, uh, like I mentioned before, it's it's not all up to us. We're not in charge of everything that happens. And uh, people thought of that in in different way before, like the Romans would uh, would think of the uh, or the or the Greek Roman philosophy. They would they would th they would have the concept of the goddess Fortuna. So it would be up to her whether she show showered you showered you with with happiness or misfortune, or in the east you would uh, you would uh, uh, think of it uh, as your karma, what kind of baggage you were born with in this world. So it was something you could you were in control of, and some things you were not in control of. So uh, uh, so you did your best with the cards you were handed. Whereas now we think it's all up to us. And we think we all should go out and pursue happiness and we can't find it. It's our fault. It's, it puts a really big pressure on us. And it makes us miserable if we cannot find it. Mm. I would agree there. It's like, um, you know, tonight, uh, no pun intended, but uh, I've, I was actually stroming and walking the labyrinth of Ikea tonight and drove quite a distance to, to, to get there. 
And um, when you're there, you you know the drill, and uh, everyone. It's almost like some sort of endorphins are firing off, and and uh, whether you always, uh, you know, you become so fascinated by the fascination of being there that you almost see a certain default happiness by default um, feeling going on because there's lots of reasonably priced items. You got to put it together yourself. You never do anything with your family, but you're going to sit down on the floor and you finally get to screw it up um, uh, in public. And um, there's there's something there's a there's a whole concept going there uh, with the IKEA when it comes to this modern day life of like you say there are so many there's so many things we need uh, more than we need. In fact, we almost virtually need nothing. And it's the same thing with happiness. We need a lot of reasons, a lot of categories to support and make us feel like um, that we are we are being, you know, that our life is justified. And we justify our life nowadays a lot with being happy because we don't justify it by just staying alive uh, um, because in some countries or in some concentration camps, just getting through the night is a good reason to be happy. But for us, we know we're going to get through the next decade. So we've just become very miserable not thinking that we're, we're getting what we not deserve, but, but, what, but what we need in that uh, happiness account. I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm not. I'm not baffled uh, or or disappointed. But I, I see that we're um, we're very constipated, um, and we need a good uh, uh, we need a good uh, punchy karma when it comes to our happiness. We need a good cleansing. Um, would we be happy if we we're going to bring this down into a yoga uh, sense? Uh, I just in my head just suddenly was sitting at an Ayurvedic hospital out in the beautiful. Uh, some bungalow somewhere, silently not saying anything and having different cleanses during the day, both here and that hole and the other and so on and so forth. And and then uh, beautiful, good Ayurvedic food and, you know, just a, a complete detox. Uh, um, people always sort of say that they sort of found themselves. Do you think there's a certain sort of um, happiness conjunct uh, and uh, when it comes to a clean body um, and good practice uh, or after a, a good walk uh, are endorphins and happiness and body uh, is it a metaphysical thing that you become more sort of um, yeah happy-go-lucky after you've gone for a long walk well it's actually a lot of factors like that and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that Alice because there is a, now we have research on happiness what are the factors of uh, of happiness and how can we measure happiness so we can uh, uh, we can look at the factors of of happiness and uh, when you talk about sitting in an in an ashram and maybe you've had a pancha karma <laughs> and you cleaned out I think you've done certain things. Uh, you probably calm down. You're probably more present. So being more uh, present, being more aware of what you're doing is one important factor because we are so immensely distracted during these times. And we're so distracted by uh, all the things we, uh, we think we need to buy and to see and to read and keep track of. So uh, uh, we really actually in what we're doing 
we don't bring our mind to what we're doing. So I'm talking about uh, uh, mindfulness here, that we lack a certain kind of mindfulness. And I think also this uh, body-focused, or you could say body or mind-focused uh, practices that we do in the yoga studio, it also uh, brings a certain awareness, just a, sim a simple thing like leaving your phone outside, being aware of your breath, feeling that you're sitting on the floor, uh, leaving a lot of stuff at the at the door uh, of the studio. So so this uh, this simple thing of, of being aware and and not doing not multitasking or doing three time three things at the same time. That's one factor in in, in happiness. And uh, likewise, there are other factors like be having connections, having good social connections, uh, whether it means that you physically have a lot of friends or that you just feel part of something, uh, some bigger network that brings happiness to your to your life. Uh, and we can measure this uh, in in different ways from from what people are saying or how, what they're with witnessing but we can also actually measure it chemically in the body when we're happy there are certain hormones that are released there are certain nerve responses there is the breath the heartbeat that slows down so yes we become more happy when we uh, when we go for a long walk there's a there's a um, there's a good reason for that do we be, uh, sorry do we become even more happy when we go for a long walk with the one that we love or would that depend on at what phase uh, did you just meet this person and you you're looking at every flower along the way or are you have you been together for years and you're looking at every rock along the way um I don't know. I'm just. I'm just wondering. You know, is happiness dependent upon um, others? Of course, it's not. Some. I know. The, I know the answer to that. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's very uh, subjective and it's uh, it, it's very situational based. And that situation could be that you're all on your own, and you have some epiphany and some sort of awakening. And uh, why? Because you were alone, and it, and it became an element back to the control thing that. You know, I got this. I know why I'm happy, and it's not because of something. It's because I'm allowing this opening or this thing just to occur. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, um, if if happiness might be also responsible, or uh, does it is it helpful when when other people sort of validate our our happiness by by either giving it to us or being around to see that we're experiencing that suddenly somebody says. Hey, you know what? You um, you really look happy lately, and you go, oh, and then you say, that might be because I actually am. I'm, I am, I am happy. Thanks for noticing. I really appreciate it. And then the other person goes, oh, that's so nice that you're happy. And the other person goes, I know. And then, <laughs> then you feel like you're watching a really crazy Seinfeld uh, show when they're well, sitting. Nobody ever says that. Says those things to me. Well, maybe not. Maybe you need to get out of Ketman too, and because uh, maybe spirituality or or being in a very spiritual place is not making you happy in a very Western way. Does does happiness change from from uh, from different sides uh, when it comes to different traditions? Are there certain traditions that, like you you've mentioned before, that there are certain aspects of language where you can't express mm. uh certain feelings but um but there's there's a lot of joy in 
in not expressing the feeling because then you leave it to the other to interpret uh, that what the other one actually meant. And there, there seems to be a lot of validity in that. Mm. Well, when I think of Nepal, where I spend a lot of time, where I lived for the last <coughs> 10 years, uh, I always think of trees. In Nepal, we have this wonderful thing called the pipa bots, which means the people tree. And there's a tree that is often, there's a big old tree that <coughs> is often <coughs> situated on the crossroad. And they build a kind of platform around it. So it's a place for, for worship because it's actually the goddess inhabits these trees. So uh, you go there and you smear some vermilion, you burn some incense, you offer some threads, you offer some clothes to a woman, so you offer some threads. But you also just hang out there. That's a completely validated, valid thing to do in Nepal is to hang out under the people boot. And then the other guys from and the women from the village will come and you have that little chat. So it's a, it's a kind of meeting place also. And you don't have to do anything. So uh, I think um, it, this is a kind of glue in society that keeps it together, that we make these social connections. And there's a, there's a joy in that. There's a security in that. Um, it's something that doesn't depend on, on what you have or who you are or what kind of position you have. And we see that if we study uh, cultures where people say they are happy, we see that they have, a lot of, uh, they have a lot of connections. They are not isolated, they're not lonely, whereas that is becoming an increasing problem in the West, right? That people are actually lonely. Mm. feeling disconnected the family structures are, are breaking up up and i think it's the whole like how we have uh, organized our society that we are always you know taking the car from one place to the next and uh, certainly if you live like like here on the on the countryside you need to make an effort Mm. If you want to meet people or nobody will come and ring your doorbell. There are no like natural meeting places uh, outside unless you have kids and you meet the other parents at the when you take your kids to some sports event or something. You, you actually you could actually be quite lonely. Mm. So uh, uh, social connections are un, and or or just feeling connected to other people uh, is a big factor in, in happiness. Now, of course, if you're a hermit and you live up in a cave and you and you uh, are a, a yogi well you still feel that you are connected you might also be connected to uh, to your your practice your tradition your lineage your guru so uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be physical living people that you're connected to but you are goddamn connected mm. I'm thinking about you know these people that go way up high on a hill. It seems like they'd have better internet reception, uh, wouldn't they, if they were carrying a mobile device? Um, and that there, this person could connect very secretly. Maybe that's why they're coming out of the cave smiling, is because they've they've got a whole uh, series of technology hidden in the cave, um, so that they can connect on the world wide web without any disturbances. And of course, I'm being very facetious now, but. Um, when we joke, when we're silly, when we're sarcastic, is there a lot of forms of uh, sort of, you know, faking it till you make it type of uh, happiness out there? Do you think happiness has been, been construed because someone says, you know, I'm going to tell you a joke. And then sometimes you're like, you know what, not only do I not like jokes, but I, I'm just not a person um, who ever would laugh at a joke and it's just not my cup of tea. That's like telling someone, 
you know, um, do you drink? No, I don't drink. Well, you should because it's really great. Listen to this joke. And sometimes I feel like someone's really like, um, uh, they're, they're really sort of like, um, they're stepping over my boundaries when they want to make me happy. And then, um, then I lose, then, then I start reflecting back to myself, like, what's wrong with you? Can't you just go with the flow? And I thought part of happiness was being able to just be who you are. I mean, in the United States, back in July 4th, 1776, you had the Declaration of Independence. You were, it was written down. You were meant to then uh, seek out life and liberty and, and, and this pursuit of happiness, uh, which would then ultimately lead to this justice for all. Um, it was a mandate written down. Um, and for me, uh, liberty uh, and this pursuit of happiness is not having someone dictate it for me. When people says, hey, cheer up over there, grumpy. And then actually inside you're experiencing this serenity, this actual real, you know, quantified, um, beautiful happiness. And then suddenly, you know, language or expectations get in the way. Um, are we dependent on, on others and are we dependent on, uh, on, on declarations to, to up, uh, uphold and keep our happiness in order? Well, I think there's a <coughs> I think there's a reason for this uh, declaration that sort of comes with the the age of uh, enlightenment and and moving away away from the the dogma and from religious authorities because if we look at uh, our own tradition and Christianity happiness was uh, either in the past in paradise and but then we ate some of the forbidden fruit and now we couldn't be happy anymore or it was uh, before uh, um, the incident in in Babel where we where we disobeyed uh, a god and we were spread throughout the world and we couldn't understand each other so happiness was something that we assumed happened in the past it wouldn't happen then life would be hard and we would maybe if we obeyed again we would uh, get some reward we would get we would experience happiness we would experience happiness in our afterlife after we were dead so I think this whole idea of the the pursuit of happiness is uh, sort of goes against this notion of happiness being belonging to some religious uh, authority or being in the hands of some religious authority or, or being dependent on uh, uh, what uh, um, uh, part of society you were born into uh, and I'm sure it was a good idea behind it uh, that, that it was uh, it was meant in a good way, but I think it has a very dark side also that we we feel like that we ought to find this happiness if we if we can't find it, uh, it's something really really wrong with us and it it brings a lot of guilt and it brings a lot of pressure because we are pretty far from the uh, notion that. Our existence is marked by suffering. When if mm. if we buy into this idea that we can find some everlasting uh, happiness, and if we don't realize that uh, uh, our existence is in fact um, suffering. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm back to our our podcast about the guru, and uh, and I'm thinking a lot about. Um, this podcast about discrimination, uh, Viveka, that we had, and the concept of, you know, as we mentioned initially, keeping your mind in a certain level of control despite what the condition is that mm -hmm. is making you feel happy, just the control in and of itself 
feeling balanced is giving you a certain clarity, and that clarity is giving you uh, a happy feeling. Um, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of the guru, thinking, is it even on their agenda to be happy? Because they seem to have this control 24-7, uh, where they've sustained a nice, you know, progression. They have this wonderful, um, uh, this this sort of ever so smooth gliding uh, routine. Um, is routine, is this sadhana, this practice, this daily routine, is it important um, in perhaps giving, opening up some vents so that the the, hap, the, the, the wind and the happiness waves can come uh, shining through? Yeah, I think we misconceive discipline. We don't value discipline. We see it as something that's enforced from the outside rather than uh, in what the spiritual tradition sees it as. And, and there they see it as something that protects your mind. You know, you have discipline, so you can protect your mind. You can find the true happiness. Whereas we think, uh, we or we often associate happiness with being able to pursue every impulse, every desire we, we, uh, uh, we have in the moment and uh, trying to fulfill every, uh, every, de every desire, every whim that, uh, that comes up at any moment. That's kind of a, a very uh, narcissistic notion of, uh, of happiness. So yeah, I think the guru or the spiritual adept is, uh, is very happy because they have an equanimity. They are like covered with Teflon. <laughs> no matter what happens, they will remain happy. They will have this uh, balance. And uh, who knows, I'm not so advanced in, in my practices, but I think when you are deep into the dhyanas and uh, these uh, higher states of awareness, you, I'm sure you're very happy. Yeah, and before this dhyana, you're, you're working on this dharyana, right? This concentration, mm -hmm. and we're back to, again... Um, Focusing, where you got to lock into something, lock into a practice. If you're just a free for all, um, uh, then then I wonder how you know. I always think it's 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 a uh, it's a blast to think that when you're sitting there and um, you're doing an afternoon class as a teacher, you see a certain stress, you see uh, a certain suddenly a new uh, a new beginner comes in with a water bottle, or you see. Uh, someone that obviously is not getting enough sleep uh, because they're an overachiever or someone else that you know just uh, came in after some crazy fast food or a lack of drinking water for, for weeks because you can almost just see it a mile away. And what you think is, you know, what comes first, again, not the chicken or the egg, but the the, the concept or the knowledge. Uh, and I'm back to this vidya-avidya concept where a great poison of the path, the first being avidya, um, the, you know, the barriers, the obstacles that stand in front of you, these obstacles are standing in front of your capability to be happy uh, in, in, in conjunction with the fact that, you know, you, you, know, you are not uh, healthy just because you are not sick. Um, and there is something called being, you know, having a certain vitality. And that vitality comes from something that you earn. And what do you earn? Karma. You create an action, you get a reaction. If you create an action of healthiness, of some a constituent of happiness, you're going to receive happiness in return. Or is it not that easy? Is it not a give and take uh, scenario happiness like it is with, with a good deed? 
Are you referring to karma now? That I'm you, referring uh, to, uh, to karma in this light, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, as I normally do, I sort of, I spread things, I scatter things just uh, out of my own interest to see how you mm-hmm. would respond. Yeah, I know you do that, <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for that. Uh, well, karma and the reward in this life, yeah, there are there are many kinds of karma, and uh, it's believed that some karma uh, we we will experience in this life, or the the, uh, the uh, result of some of our actions are to be experienced in this life. Now we can look about we can look at this in 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 different ways because, uh, uh, well, you can see it from a, even from a scientific point of view that we are actually creating ourselves all the time our brains are are, are changing through the actions that we perform right mm. and we're actually also re- rewarded physically when we do virtuous things when we when we help people when we do good things when we have good thoughts even when we respond to other people doing uh, good things or helping each other out we get this good feeling mm. we get this like uh, wellness uh, this good hormones this like uh, uh, hormonical release and vagus vagus nerve vagus nerve responses in our bodies so these kind of effects we we can experience and we might get a, a bit uh, addicted to these effects which which makes it more easy for us to to uh, act in a, in a virtuous way and and be compassionate and and helpful and and be interested in the joy and happiness of others okay I don't want to cut you off, but I'm, you just made me think of these millennials and these post-millennials, these kids uh, of ours, or, you know, in this case, I have a, a son who's uh, just turned 18, and, um, you know, just like the other boys and just like, you know, my seven-year-old, I, I see still, nonetheless, uh, you know, from uh, 23 down to seven years old that uh, the spread between these four boys, that they're, they they have a lot of similar patterns, but nonetheless, there seems to be a certain category of differences when it comes to how society and their little small you know generation gap just like if you think of Hennes and Maritz when they H&M is a big chain store I'm sure everyone knows what I'm talking about um, when you think of this great uh, big uh, um, multinational corporation that sells clothes worldwide in every shopping mall uh, H&M um, they don't have four seasons anymore. It's not a fall collection, a summer collection, <clears throat> and a winter and a spring collection. They have, and it's no joke, it's a 53 season uh, where they are infiltrating clothes each and every week because that's how specific and subliminal uh, they've, they've gotten into the code of how and when we are going to buy which uh, piece of clothing and which type of fabric. And that's not happening four times a year. That's happening 53 times once every week. They are moving, changing, and shifting clothes. Now, based on that example in and of itself, it seems like the specification the uh, uh, of what you need in order to be happy is a longer list because there just seems to be an infiltration of why and what happiness means nowadays because it's become so external i am happy because um and i I feel i really feel for my kids um when everything is a look down at a screen sort of a generation and you know when they look up or they have a, a week to themselves you take them to a certain cabin without any internet 
you know, it's almost like you, the parent, either you've lost your training in, or in, in how to entice them and make them feel uh, that they're happy. And they almost need a week or two, like just anyone else on a holiday, to land before they, they've actually... They need rehab. They need rehab. And um, do, we, do we all need rehab or a recap or, um, or a silent retreat with Dhammadipa for two weeks? Do we need to just turn off in order to turn this happiness button legitimately on? I think it's good to, uh, to do a, a retreat. And my experience is that my mind takes a few days to just slow down. And it's very noticeable when your mind is actually at a comfortable level. Of, uh, of distractions or of not being interested in, in distractions. So I think we, it's, uh, it's good to uh, practice that abstinence from time to time. And uh, also back to Hennes and Mauritz, I think this extreme consumerism that we are witnessing, witnessing is just a symptom of this um, mis, uh, misinterpreted uh, notion of happiness. That, uh, as you say, it has become so external now. And, and buying things or sense gratification is like the shortcut. It's like the fastest way. It's like the fast food of, uh, of uh, uh, sense satisfaction that we can... We can have uh, we can have something. We can have clothes that have the nice touch against the skin. We can have shoes that looks cool. We can have furniture that have this pleasant design. So we we are nurturing these uh, sense pleasures in the in a very fast way all the time, and we kind of do it faster and faster because because we don't have any relation to the deeper workings of our of our mind that uh, can bring us true happiness. Things like, you know, simply cutting back and being focused on, on what we're doing. And, we, and, and of course, our behavior, like we, we said a minute ago, it, it shapes our minds. So we just reinforce these patterns by running after the things that we think we need all the time. Mm. Recently, something really cool happened to me. Um, and uh, I, I brought a... I brought two groovy cameras that I don't use anymore. And one of them was like, it had a gimbal on it, and it was it's called an Osmo, a DJI. It's very cool uh, to make films uh, with. And then the other was called a GoPro, right? Two really groovy things that two do different things. Um, but um, uh, some kids, at least teenagers, would just dream of having something like that. Um, and for me, of course, I have other gadgets that sort of replace those. But, you know, as they're collecting dust, I thought, you know, I'm going to give it to a friend who's going to send off a gift to her, her two boys in Australia. And um, now the two boys in Australia are living with the dad, uh, literally in like a shack versus like a house that they also have, but they're renting out the house and living down in the shack at the bottom, bottom of the farm. They, uh, the dad makes the bread. He only works as a carpenter when he needs the money, not because he has to go to work every day, because it's a certain lifestyle. And it's not just a lifestyle. They're really walking the walk and, and, and having, the t uh, having the talk, well, at least the father with himself, each and every day to keep the boys away from all of these uh, externalities when it comes to, to Wi-Fi and, and, and devices and so on. So, long story short, I, I was going to send them both cameras. Now, I thought I was doing somehow the, the mother, who's a very good friend, a favor by sending off these wonderful gadgets. And as we were packing the box, and I found that the mother was taking more out of it than I was putting into it. 
And she eliminated one of them entirely, the most expensive item, and said, no, no, that's too much. They don't need that. And then I was like, yeah, well, in my head I was thinking, well, then they can do this, they can do that. It's not like they need it or don't. It's just another option. And she says, exactly. It's another option. And that option is going to cloud the first option that was given to them, which is a complete gift where they have to research it, find out how to use it, and maximize it to its full potential. That will give me happiness knowing that it'll give them a task and that task will bring happiness when they complete it and and figure it out and then i thought what's wrong with me and when i took it back <laughs> all i'm thinking about uh is uh who to give it to next without giving them something else mm. um I, is is happiness uh, obviously in her case it's and and her, her her ex-husband's case, it, it's understanding in in how to approach something. Um, uh, but we're back to the, the the routine and the good practice of of finding clarity in things, aren't we? Uh, on someone else's account, and not just on our own. So um, back to the kleshas is is uh, the poisons of the path. If you understand your ego, if you understand your your desires and 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 understand not to use too much energy not having desires and and understanding ignorance and understanding your fears if you if you understand these poisons of the path are you are you clearing the path for more happiness yeah i think so and this is also uh, some uh, um, basic uh, um, notion when it when it comes to those people, there is a, there are actually people who are researching the factors of uh, of uh, happiness these days, and uh, uh, happiness. One of the factors is also to have a certain amount of svadhyaya of understanding yourself. If mm. you have, if you think about a person who has no self uh, reflection who doesn't understand how he or she uh, uh, reacts to things and have no insight into their own uh, the workings of their own mind, that person is not likely to be very happy. That person is likely to be kind of narcissistic and blaming everything that goes wrong on someone else or on the surroundings. Yeah. So I, I think definitely that uh, that there there is there is some truth to these uh, old uh, traditions that we we have to have a, uh, we have to gain a certain sort of uh, of insight to master our own uh, happiness and see when things go wrong and 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 learn from it and understand. The Svartvidya, I was thinking, yeah, the self-study, uh, looking back at yourself. Nowadays, you can see how much screen time you have during the course of a day. And, you know, um, I've that's something I've discovered recently, and it's not something I look into, but sometimes it pops up, and I'm just like, holy moly, have I been on this thing that much? That would then, minus the, the total uh, hours you have in a day, minus that screen time, would then be somewhat an indication of how much self-study you you know, have in your capacity, and of that remaining hours, how many you know what you were doing when you were weren't looking at that phone. And if you really boil it down, um, we're we're sort of avoiding sometimes a self study. At least I am uh, uh, on a deeper. Well, it's deeper. not always comfortable. It can be confronting. It could be, and it could be liberating, uh, finding and understanding what your path is. So, um, is on the road to happiness. Um, like a lot of people that I find that when they come to yoga, they're expecting or hoping that it'll give them a certain degree of happiness. Happiness in that, uh, for some, that they're going to 
in fact, see the light. Happiness for others, in fact, that they might lose a, a kilo or a pound or two. But like any other burn, um, it is a burn, isn't it? Like when you stop drinking, when you stop being ignorant, when you start approaching something more clean, you, you're going through some sort of purification that's almost, you know, you're, you're getting out of this, uh, this dependency. You're going into withdrawals, aren't you? It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not an easy road, is it? Or is it? Or, I mean, what's your take on that? For me, getting to happiness requires um, some direct suffering, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, if not suffering, it, uh, it requires some hard work. So I think we have to overcome this notion that, uh, uh, that we don't need to do any work, that it's just our personality. If we are uh, generally content, it's just how we are born, or it's just due to some circumstances. Uh, uh, and I think uh, if you take the example of a yoga class, I think people have precisely that experience, that less is more. You know, mm. I, I walked in there, I just calmed down, I didn't do very much. And I felt content. There you go. Well, then you're, you're back to a child then. Um, children seem to be like crazy happy. Uh, and sometimes they're so happy that you're just like, you can almost put on that adult voice like, get over here. And the reason you're saying that is because you couldn't possibly so be so darn happy because I used to be just as happy as you are now. And it's so irritating that you. I just want you to just be quiet and eat your green beans because you're just far too beautiful and 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 happy with just having nothing as you want to run back out in the cold and keep playing why would you want to do such a thing um are we um have we forgot or is it is being a kid also a very sort of chemical thing and if it is is it are we dependent on these happy pills that they're throwing our ways uh when we visit our doctor to uh, because people are so quick to the punch to say i'm so Yes, you are. Take these. Life will get better. Uh, well, I think kids just lack experience, you know. they uh, You have to realize that they experience a lot of things for the first time. So it's overwhelming mm. and they can go completely into it. And <laughs> they have this intense feeling of happiness. For us, I'm afraid we're more blasé. We mm. have uh, had our ups and downs and we uh, sadly we have the experience that things don't last. So uh, I think we, uh, we uh, experienced the truth uh, that, the, that the Buddha also talked about, that uh, even our happiest moments are tinged by, uh, by happiness. There's always like this white noise going on in the background that the minute you uh, notice that you're happy, the moment is already gone, it's already mm. over, will never come back. And then we start worrying, will I ex ever experience this again? Or uh, certainly when you come to a, an age like uh, me and maybe you, you are always afraid that, uh, oh, will this be the last time I do that? Exactly. Is it the last time mm. I get to do that? Mm. So uh, our happiness is kind of uh, tainted a bit uh, in, in that way. The word tainted, um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off, mm. but you're, just, you're bringing up something. Are we noticing noticing a bit too often that we we just mess up that that opportunity we just had to be happy because we're noticing noticing we're noticing that we're noticing we're noticing that we're you know we're we're we're, we're we have a narrative going on uh simultaneously in in everything we experience we're 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 adding up things a bit too much. Uh, do you do you think that, um, like for example, I find it to be a golden opportunity also to not be a child because if you have the kind of wherewithal to be a, a certain kind of a human being, being a parent or being an adult who's you know 
doesn't have that the same endorphins, the same energy that a child has, but still can look at the child as a child can't look at itself. And that is, is with a complete joy of looking at that joyous creature and saying, that is, must be the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And then by seeing that as an adult, you'd, you'd get then a different kind of pleasure, uh, a more incorporated happiness instead of one that is felt. Um, do you think there? Um, do you think we? Uh, do you think we uh, are overthinking happiness? Do you think we're sometimes looking at it um, and sensing it and and picking it apart uh, so much that uh, in the narrative we keep um, we keep making a mention of this makes me happy. So um, suddenly I'm not happy, or like you say, the Buddha. Once you identify with it, it disappears. How do we just keep quiet and keep just experiencing the darn thing? Just experiencing happiness. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to just not make mention of it. I mean, often you'll... Not you know, to say, oh, now I'm really happy. This was so nice. I'm so glad we got together and do this. Yeah, but one second. I've got a question. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. Um, the other day you said something, and I found it interesting because you're one of my favorite people, bar none. But this time I thought it was kind of cute <laughs> yeah, because you've been getting a lot of response in social media and well done. And it's not like it's 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 your prerogative, but it's just fun sometimes to see how many you know thousands of people can react to certain things. But one day, the other day, you said, oh. I put out this picture. It's been out all day, and there was only 106 people that liked it and followed it. And I know you were being facetious, but nonetheless, it dawned on me. If you lined up 106 human beings against a physical wall, and you stood in the middle of that courtyard, and they were holding their hands in prayer pose, in all their gratefulness, while you were doing that same pose that was in that picture that you had put out uh, that day, would you think there are only 106 people standing here with their hands on their hearts looking over at you in total admiration? Is happiness a number game? Is happiness a number game? Well, sometimes it feels like that, and it certainly <laughs> feels like that in the world of uh, uh, social media. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, you know, you can be very happy if someone writes something very genuine to you, and uh, we can. I mean, in in this podcast, we we trash social media a lot, but I've been really, I've been making some really uh, sweet connections as, uh, as well. Mm. I must say, uh, I've had some uh, some nice conversations, and I found people. You know, I found people again also. So. Uh, uh, what what makes you happy, Ellen? Um, in general, I mean, this is like that part of the podcast when we're you know starting to you know sum up things to a certain degree. I'm I just want to know. Uh, I I get the feeling like I know what you know that uh, that makes you smile and and feels ingenuous and and wonderful for you. But you know, I think people would be curious. What what is it that makes you happy? Well, I'm. Uh, uh, success 
No, but it depends, you know, when do I feel successful when uh, uh, obviously I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher. I like uh, teaching. I like uh, teaching philosophy. I love philosophy. I, I was thinking about this today. It's good you mentioned it. I was thinking about what makes me uh, uh, what makes me happy. And I love learning new things. I love reading philosophy because do. it opens new possibilities. It makes me think of things I never thought before and see the world in a different perspective and that's I find so liberating because we can be so stuck in our minds and our habitual ways of thinking and seeing the glass half full or it might not even be a, a, a nice thing you know if you if you read philosophy some of them are quite depressive and uh, and it can really get to you this way of, of seeing the world through the lens of one certain philosopher but at least it brings something new to the table mm. and and that makes me really happy that uh, I can continue reflecting like the world is renewing our, our itself itself uh, my perspe- perspectives are, are widening and and opening up so i think i really love learning uh, new things i've been i've been learning some aerial yoga with your with your wife aina and uh, i find it fascinating in in many ways that connect to things that i learned way back in the in the past you know with with all these um, layers and layers uh, that are inside us and what is it like to be weightless again mm. that's kind of the new joy that uh, that has come back to me and I, I i like connecting the dots i think that's what i also like about uh, about philosophy and hanging upside down in a, in a hammock and um, and um, uh, thinking about my uh, uh, life in embryo mm. you know it's a, there's a deliberating uh, process going on there. Yeah. And uh, I must say, having you uh, visit us has been a real pleasure because yeah, anytime I might get up and go pee or anytime I might run up and open the fridge or go out and, you know, whatever time of day is, you just never know if you're up. And if you're up and you walk by that door in that room you're staying in, um, you're always learning. You're always learning something. And uh, you hear either something in a video, uh, some other podcast, or you see, you know, a few, a collection of books. You you are one of these, um, I think, people that are fascinated. Uh, we had someone earlier today that actually used the term starstruck when they went into your yoga class because uh, they wanted to talk to you. And I, I had to remind them that it was okay to talk to you. Um, but at the same time, you know, although I know you and we've become very good friends, um, and we have a good rapport, and we can be silly and sarcastic with one another. I also have to give you a little cred that uh, when it comes to someone that uh, officiates their learning process, you really have a good uh, practice, not only uh, on the mat, but really uh, in the in the books. You really turn the pages in life, and I, I you turn them slowly, uh, and you don't turn them before you know uh, or have registered uh, what what you've just read. And, and felt uh, through hanging upside down in what you just read. So uh, I, I really appreciate that. And, um, and uh, I think uh, I see that, that it does make you happy. And it's back to avoiding that first, you know, um, avidya, that, that, that ignorant. It's not, ignorance is not understanding something specifically or knowing it 100%. But I think any type of knowledge that you accumulate, even if it's negative, because that could be even help you in the dualistic of understanding something, of understanding its opposite. 
So for me, nothing's negative as long as you're pursuing something. And someone told me one time back in the day when I was in living, living in California, they said, I met this guy from, from Iran and um, really just infectious, beautiful person. And he says, um, are you Christian? And I said, nope. And he says, uh, okay, then uh, what are you? And then I said, well, um, he goes, are you an atheist? And I said, nope. And he goes, well, what do you believe in? And I couldn't, I wasn't even a surfer. I couldn't even say, you know, the, 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 the riptide. I couldn't say what I believed in was a, a good surfboard or a, a beautiful sunset. I just had nothing to say. Mm. Uh, and he says, look, you, you don't have to believe in Allah. You don't have to believe in this, that, or the other. But promise me one thing, that you're going to learn to believe in something because without belief, you're headed nowhere. And I finally, and I must say, not using a pun, I believed him uh, when he said that. So at that very moment in time, he was the only thing I really believed in. Um, is believing in something also kind of um, important when we think of this concept of Ishwara and mm. that you need to serve and perhaps, um, yeah, that, you, that you're looking up to something bigger and higher than just your own self and what you think? Yeah, I think that's a, 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 an important factor. Uh, but apart from that, I think that question is uh, completely meaningless. Uh, so that's another tip for you, Alice. When someone asks you the next time, what do you believe in? You just say that that's the wrong question. You know, because uh, I think it's I think it's irrelevant. It's more like it's more appropriate to ask, uh, uh, what are you practicing? How do you cultivate your uh, understanding and your mind? You know, how do you conduct your life? What what makes you? Uh, um, uh, what is important for you? What makes your life uh, valuable? What mm. you find meaningful? That I think is is more uh, important. But also, of course, uh, in one sense, believing it in something, or I would say, trusting something, because it's also a certain. Uh, it has to be based in some uh, experience not just some, something you are told or something you kind of choose to believe in. So you ha I, don't, I, I don't believe in uh, blind faith. Uh, but um, uh, for instance, in, uh, in Buddhism, it's, it's important to acknowledge the, the goodness in all that is at at bottom of, of all people and all living creatures, living creatures exactly, mm. that we are basically good. Mm. We're just clogged by uh, a lot of stuff that is, is heaped up because, you know, if there's Residue. not some basic goodness at at bottom, what can we do? What What is there to do? What hope is it, mm. really? Uh, and it's not just it's not not to say that it's just a blind hope or something we we cling to because it's a comfortable uh, belief or feeling to have but you can actually start to that's also a practice you can start to see that that the goodness in people shines through even if the even if the world can look very cruel and of course it is it's full of problems but uh, where would we be if it wasn't that basic goodness that that shines through if there wasn't compassion if there wasn't real connections between people so uh, that's of course an important thing to to uh, uh, remember and to practice and to cultivate mm. and that can also keep you going can you cultivate that in the mirror without a, another person standing behind you as you look into your eyes and you notice those butterflies those little patterns that you have 
you know, if you look really into your eyes, you, you see that they're very three-dimensional, those patterns, and it looks like the back of a butterfly um, because there's, there, there are certain patterns there that'll just knock you out if you really look in your eyes long enough. Um, you know, as you go into the mirror and draw ever near, um, can you make yourself happy or identify happiness? Or do you think that, that when you're looking at yourself physically, and when you're identifying with yourself as a living creature or that I am the body, are you already messing up happiness because happiness is, is more along the lines of manifesting something in your mind and in the soul than it is in the body? Is there is body and mind, is there a division of happiness here? Just like we have this macro, medial, and, mm. and, and, and micro uh, dharma? Well, I think uh, what resonates with me in what you're saying is that I think gratitude is an important factor in happiness. And we can certainly look ourselves in the mirror and be very happy for the bodies we have. Mm. We might have an ear sticking out or a big nose or hair that we don't like, but <laughs> <laughs> at least we, if we are, we're healthy and we have our senses and we have a, a le- what is, what do you call leisure. Mm. Compared to most of the world, we are we are so uh, we are so lucky. Just to have a functioning uh, body is an uh, is an Im- immense adventure, Ad- advantage, uh, and, and, and uh, adventure. <laughs> it's an, it can be an adventure also to be actually to be in a body. What an adventure! Because uh, we can move around. Yoo-hoo. But yeah. uh, I- you know the practice of gratitude. I call it the practice of gratitude because mm. uh, we are so done used to things, and that's also part of our makeup as human beings. That we we have to advance all the time because mm. we might have lived in a, well, we have lived in harsh conditions in the old age, and we had to always uh, you know heap up things and want more, and we could never rest. We no. have to plan for the future, and we still do that. So we still run for things, even if we we have enough, because we are so afraid that there's going to be a lack. It's in our, uh, yeah. it's in deep in our bones. I think that we we feel that way. So we have to do something consciously uh, to counteract that. So one thing could be to consciously uh, work on, on on gratitude and actually count our blessings and and see what we have. And you can well do that standing in front of the mirror. Yes. I love I love the way you sum that up and answer that. And uh, I would again uh, um, agree with you a hundred percent. And being you know gracious in gratitude, uh, finding gratitude in yourself and and in what you have and and not trying to accumulating uh, everything that's out there. But like you said, you know we've been. We've had to always work uh, for something, so much so that nowadays you don't really need anything. But nonetheless, there is a new download. There's a new. You got to stay on top of things. There's a new uh, iPhone. There's a new this. There's a new that. And um, people even ask you and almost give you more merit if you have something that gives them merit or credibility. So, in the land of you know finding gratitude, would you would you say that in order to you know, accumulate happiness, not only experience it, but to build up your own happiness um, and and find this gratitude. Um, are you, in summary, saying that, you know, for one, it takes good practice? Well, I think uh, what you're saying, there is always something new. There's al- always some new equipment. And I see, I mean, typically now we're sitting in a room 
full of equipment. There's so many cables and lenses and microphones here, and I don't know what the hell they're for, but you have gathered them. Uh, so we have all these uh, gadgets, and, and sometimes I think they get in the way for good old uh, creativity, you know? Because mm. you could do something with, a, I don't know, with a Polaroid camera or something, and you could do something really fun and be uh, really happy about it. So uh, I think it's also a curse that we have too many choices all the time. Mm, you I know, like with your camera that you wanted to send off to uh, Australia. Mm. So we have to not forget uh, creativity, and I think that's also a, an important factor in in happiness. Is feeling that you have the power to be in charge, that you took these choices, you invented this. Mm. You didn't just have the, the latest uh, equipment. Mm, just like the mother seeing that the, the, the goal wasn't what the kids would do with the camera, it's, it was finding out how to even to get it to, to turn on uh, and uh, not, not taking away the journey uh, from someone um, in, in perhaps being not only compliant to how things should be but being more creative in 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 how things uh can come about um i i think we'll we'll, we'll be show some gratitude in letting this rest and um looking at happiness as something that um that is isn't always easy uh to define but it could be in fact not so difficult to uh, acquire uh, and perhaps like all these other wonderful sayings in yoga, it's not a matter of whether you're happy or not, because, you know, back to the gunas, you you have uh, a certain level of happiness if you can get more rest and you can calm these Thomistic and logistic sides by, by, by not being so determined at work. You'll, you'll bring more of the sattvic nature into your life. Um, do we need to monitor uh, things a little bit more rigidly to, to create more of an opening to let the sattvic part in uh, and this ananda that uh, the sattvic, uh, the joy that the, the sattvic part of us uh, can bring out? Because happiness lays within us. It's not something that, that is, it's not like a dart that someone shoots into our arm, is it? Mm. No, no, definitely. We can be more happy if we learn to to moderate our uh, attention and uh, our emotions. Okay. Our attention seems they it, it runs in all directions these days, uh, and we're we're so exposed to uh, distractions. So we need to. I wouldn't say we could be happier. I think we need to. We need to learn to moderate our attention and stay with a, a task for some time. Mm. And we need to be able to to moderate our emotions. We may be a little bit better at that, but our attention is really suffering these days. Mm, okay, I'm going to give you a really happy ending, uh, and I don't mean that in the the Western sense, but in in a very sort of a bhakti, a compassionate, beautiful sense. So, in order to be happy, we need to we need to moderate, we need to appreciate. And perhaps we need to create something that is creative and that that all on our own account we, we manifest uh, and experience something that, that that belongs to us or at least belongs to the, to, to the actual moment at hand so that it's not a copy and paste scenario, um, that our happiness isn't a result of something external, but rather of, of, of a realization that I'm okay and that's okay and let the happiness uh, shine through. Agree? Agree. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. I hope uh, you became uh, a little less uh, confused and perhaps a little more happy uh, by listening to this uh, episode of Happiness Here. We are the Yoga Syndicate.